Welcome to the Parenting with Confidence podcast. I am your host, Teresa Alexander Inman, board certified behavior analyst and infant toddler developmental specialist. Today, I am absolutely delighted to have with me my friend, Dr. Cheryl Rosen. Now, Dr. Rosen is a speech language pathologist and certified autism specialist with 25 years of experience in the field. She has presented nationally and internationally on topics related to evidence-based practices in assessment and intervention for individuals with ASD. She has been published in both national and international research journals related to autism assessment and intervention practices. Now, um, she has a long bio, guys, so I'm going to put the rest of it below the podcast so you can read all about Dr. Rosen because I don't want to take up this time, her precious, precious time, you know, just talking about things that you can read. And I want her to talk to us today. So welcome, Cheryl. Thank you so much. Thanks for the introduction and thanks for having me today. I really appreciate it um, because I love talking to parents and hopefully imparting, you know, any little bit of knowledge that I can that can help them feel more excited and successful um, with the way that they interact with their children and with the way that they communicate with them on a daily basis. So um, for me being a speech language pathologist, that's my ultimate goal is to really work on helping parents uh, communicate with their children in a functional way, in a way that is hopefully going to address their biggest wish, which is really what our you know, biggest wishes, my biggest wishes when I work with individuals um, with autism and, and without, um, but is to answer that big question, you know, will my child with autism or other de developmental disabilities talk, right? Because that's like the biggest wish is like, I just want my child to talk to me. I want my child to communicate with me and to let me know what's going on in whatever way that they can. And that's what, you know, I help parents do on a daily basis. So um, I'd like to talk a little bit about um, how I do that. And so I don't know if you want me to just sort of jump into that, or if you have any like specific questions you wanted to ask me, Teresa, first before, before I give that information. Honestly, ma'am, just dive in because our goal, like you said, is to just impart as much information to parents as possible. And I know you're the woman to do it because I have learned so much from you over the years. Uh, so please educate our parents, you know, talk to them about climbing that language mountain. All right, perfect. So, you know, what I really want everyone to think of is that in order for us to get our children to communicate with their you know, fullest potential, we have to be realistic in the level that they're currently at. We really need to meet them where they're at and to understand that there's a uh, method you know, to the madness, right? That even though we really want those words, those first words to come, we have to get the building blocks. And it's hard sometimes to you know, really buy into the length and the patience that it takes to get there as a parent. But if I can use the analogy of a mountain, right, and how hard it is to climb a mountain, we want to get to that top of the mountain so badly, but we can't just race up the mountain and get there quickly. We have to start at the bottom, right? We have to work really hard at getting our feet, you know, up the first steps and get our breath 
<laughs> working in order to really, you know, get to those higher points of the mountain where we can look out from the top and feel like successful. And that's really the analogy that I'm going to use. I'm going to use two different analogies today. One is that, and one is also building a house. And so we're going to start with climbing the language mountain first so that you can really conceptualize what I mean. And so when I talk about the foundational skills, I look towards what something that's called the functional developmental levels. And these were created by um, Serena Weeder and Greenspan, Stanley Greenspan, um, back in the 70s. They created this sort of hierarchy of development, functional development, and it really parallels the development of speech and language. And so what they say is that you have to be able to have your child or work with your child or allow your child to be at that foundational level of looking and sharing attention with somebody first and foremost, no matter what happens. Because just like we're doing today, even though you know we're on Zoom, we're looking at each other and we're reading each other's facial expressions and each other's cues and we're learning how our mouth moves if we're a younger child and what we gain from looking at somebody is so important. So functional developmental level one is at the bottom of that mountain. That's being able to share attention with somebody so that we can take the next step up the mountain in which is level two be able to engage and relate with somebody. So not only are we sharing attention, but we're engaging and we're relating with each other on the subject of climbing the language mountain, right? So when I can do that, when I can look at you and I can engage with you and I can relate to you, I can move to that third level or third step of climbing the mountain, which is two-way back and forth communication with gestures. So those are the first three steps of climbing the mountain, which are so functional and foundational. And why I want to emphasize this so much is because what happens in a lot of speech and language therapy programs, traditional programs, or a lot of other therapeutic programs that help the child to talk, they forget about those foundational skills. And what happens is they start to work into what we call the zone of potential development, where the child can possibly be, but where they're not at right now. And so they start to try to teach words from the top down versus the bottom up. And so the child may imitate a word here or there, but they don't have the functional reciprocal interaction with another person by looking at them, by engaging with them, and by using their gestural communication. So basically, they're just parroting words without really knowing the meaning of the words or using them functionally or able to generalize them into their everyday life because they didn't have what is the foundation of communication, which is what children birth to three months of age can understand how to do, basically how to share attention. Right, so when we climb up that language mountain, we're starting to get to that point where we're using gestural communication. That's that level three or that third step. And what I want to do is to talk about how important gestural communication is. Please, please, please hear me when I say this, because again, this is a part of communication that a lot of people who are thinking of getting a child to talk, right? Using words will often forget about. And gestural communication is about 80% of what we do when we talk to people. 80% of our communication is gestural. So we know what somebody's really meaning or thinking 
Sorry, we've got some little friends here that are kind of, we're, it's a therapy center. So sorry, we have somebody who's a little upset in the background. Hopefully they're, they're communicating to us, right? They're telling us they're not happy. <laughs> sorry about that. Um, but anyways, so our gestural communication is, is critical. Showing, giving, pointing, looking, using our facial expressions. There's big nonverbal communications. There's little nonverbal communications. There's micro nonverbal communications. But I'm going to give you an example of why this is really so important, right? And the, and the example I'm going to tell you is the example of, I'm going to call it, I want juice. All right. So I'm going to tell you a little story about professionals who work with children who forget about the third step of climbing a language mountain and not worrying so much about gestures. So let's call this little boy Johnny, right? So Johnny walks over to the fridge. He's pointing to the fridge. He's grunting. He's looking inside. His mom is like, okay, I think, it, you know, Johnny might want some juice, right? So mom says, say juice, say juice. I want juice. You say, I want juice, Johnny, juice. And Johnny's like, and walks away and lost the ability to get what he wanted when he was truly communicating with mom, right? He was using his gestures. He was pointing, he was grunting, he was looking, he was looking at her. He was non-verbally telling her everything she wanted and she wouldn't give him the juice because he didn't say juice. And if he could have said juice, he would have said juice. <laughs> exactly. And you know what? He's not at the level of the language mountain yet where he's going to say juice. Reason being is because he's just not at level four, which is the next step to language, right? Being able to use your words. So eventually he could get there and we might be able to push him towards saying juice, but we have to accept the gestures that he gave us first and just model it instead. Oh, it looks like he wants some juice. There you go, juice. Maybe he will say it, maybe he won't. But it's just really important to understand that because what's happening is if you are only pushing for the speech or the talking part, which is at the top of the language mountain, you're gonna have impoverished gestures in the future because the child will stop gesturing and their communication is meaningless because you didn't acknowledge what the child was actually telling you in the first place. So that's why climbing this mountain is so important for us to respect and to honor and for us to um, work towards, towards getting there. So there's some other steps, you know, in the language mountain after the fourth step of communication, we have more single words and sentences and to the top of the language mountain, conversational speech. So it's a, it's a pretty good analogy um, that really helps us to think about how hard the child really has to work to get to that point of getting to the top of the language mountain, but we can get there if we're patient, if we really think about these steps and we, we help the child by being very playful in that and doing things that they love so that the child will love being with us. And then we can work together to, to gain those steps. So, so, so important. Yeah, and I love that you added doing things that they love because we always want children to do what we want. I've worked with parents where, you know, the child is doing something and instead of joining them in what they're doing and talking them through it and, you know, really capitalizing on the fact that they are using gestures, like, oh no, no, 
um, you know, Johnny, come over here and do this. Or they want Johnny to show me what they can do. I'm like, Johnny's not interested right now. Get into what he's doing and forget yeah. your agenda. Let it go. <laughs> exactly. And that's exactly right. And that's really how this language mountain works because they have to climb it at their own speed. You can't make them climb it any faster, right? You can't make them even interested maybe in climbing it right now. So if you follow their lead, their cues and their interest, Hopefully they will then level step one, share attention with you. Step two, engage with you. Step three, communicate back and forth with you reciprocally. Step four, use some words. Step five, some phrases. Step six, some sentences. And seven at the top of the mountain, having conversations, which can take, you know, some time. And that's why I really want to emphasize the patience in this because, you know, a child on the autism spectrum, you know, even a mildly um, affected child can lose about two years of their life developmentally. And so, you know, it's going to take us some time to get there. It's just a matter of doing it right so that when we get there, we don't have big holes in our functional developmental levels and that we're solid, just like building a house. And that's my analogy of the house is strong foundation. You have a strong house, right? Good walls, good roof, and you, you are very uh, solid. But without that, we're going to have some pretty shaky, you know, walls and roof and our house might not be very, uh, very solid for the future. Yes, awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Now, can I go back a little bit to state to the step one? Yeah. What could, what are some things to look for? And what are some things that parents can do at that level to help their child be solid at that level? Yeah. So sharing attention is that level, right? And so we, oftentimes what we see um, with you know children who are on the autism spectrum is that lack of shared attention where they're really interested in what they want to look at, what they want to play with, what they want to do. And so in order for us to do that and to help get that shift in shared attention, we need to first off be with them. What does that mean? We need to sit next to them, observe and look at what they're doing and think, hmm, what is it that is my child's idea right now? Okay, if I figured out that my child's idea right now is just spinning the wheels on this car, and they don't need to look at me to spin the wheels on the car because they can do it pretty much by themselves, then I need to do what they're doing and sit right next to them and spin the wheels on my own car and say, hey, guess what? I like what you're doing and then chances are the child will shift and look over at what you're doing because you're doing what they're doing and they like that. And now you've got that shift in shared attention to somebody else aside from just that child and that object that that child is holding. And so now what you've done is you've expanded the child's view of the world so that they share attention with you and the environment around them. So it's as simple as first finding out what it is the child likes and meeting them in that activity, no matter what it may be. It might be spinning the wheels. It might be, um, you know, picking the little things out of the carpet. That might be something really fun. And you're going to do that same thing. And hopefully by you doing what the child loves, the child will love being with you and will shift their attention for the step one. It is a very simple thing that doesn't seem like it would work when you're doing what the child loves because they're already doing what they love, but they finally feel like, wait a minute, 
you get me. This is what I like to do. And you're not having your idea forced upon me and trying to get me to do what you want me to do. You're joining me and you're being with me. And this is pretty cool. Now I'll share my attention with you. Wonderful. And yeah, I always use, you know, I always tell parents get into their world. So they'll be interested in what you're doing in your world, but we have to meet them where they are. That is so, so vital. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. We have to meet them where they're at first, for sure. I mean, some other little tricks to get, you know, shared attention. Sometimes you can even just hold what they're looking at, you know, up towards your face and not requesting them to look. I never say, look at me, look at me, because that is probably one of the most, you know, difficult things for a child to do anyway. So if we say, look at me, they're not going to naturally look at you. So if I use the reinforcer or the thing that they love, that they're so motivated to play with the most and just put it up towards my face and then make a little bit of a noise like, (gasps) or use a lot of affect in it, like, oh, they may shift towards your face and then you give them what they wanted. So they are realized naturally and internally like, hey, I just looked at that person and I got to play with this cool thing that I wanted. And that is a way to naturally reinforce eye contact. If you say, look at me, look at me, and then they don't look, or you say, look at me, and they look at you, then the only times they're really going to look at you is when you say, look at me. And that's not how we look. That's not what we say when we initiate a conversation with somebody. Hey, look at me. No, we just start talking and somebody looks at our face because we have animation and we have affect and we have interest. But children who are at the bottom of the language mountain need a lot of motivation and reinforcement, natural reinforcement to look at somebody in the beginning of a language mountain. So, so, so important. And thank you for sharing that. I mean, I get so excited talking with you because, you know, we've worked together and like I said, you've taught me so much, especially with play project and all the other fun things. And I see the marriage of all of that because, and two, it's also about having fun with your child. It's not sitting there making it like a rote, boring time. Have fun with your child, please, please, please. And I hope you could see, like for those who are going to be watching the video, the animation, you know, and share, like her body was just talking. She spoke with every part of her because she's excited about her work. And because she's excited about what she does, you know, the progress that she's seen children who she's worked with um, make, because I've seen that same thing as well. And, you know, she's so animated about it. So if she can be this animated talking to us about what she does, we need to at least match that animation when working with our children. Yeah, no, it's, it is really important. And, you know, the biggest thing that I guess I've learned, you know, with working with children for over 25 years is that, you know, if you are kind soul and you understand that the child, you know, has different interests that are maybe something that you never thought of would be interesting to, to you, but that you can put all your ideas aside and just sit and watch and observe them and be with them and then figure out how can I get into that idea? Cause that looks like so much fun too. I want to do it too. You can connect with them. And I really find that for the most part, there isn't really many, there haven't been really many children where I haven't felt like I can connect with them in some way. I just have to find that thing that is their thing and that they want to share with me. And then we're solid. And that's what's so cool about 
you know, the whole communication methods, being developmental relationship based therapist, and also understanding language and how it develops and knowing that, you know, it is hierarchical and that it's very important to, to build it that way for really solid functional communication. Wonderful. Um, I want to be respectful, respectful of your time, ma'am. So we're getting to a close. Are there any last words you want to share? You've shared so much already. Is there one thing you want to, one parent to take, to go come away with? I just want them to, you know, understand that, you know, we all have the biggest wish for their child as well, that we want them to, to talk and to communicate with us. And that if we follow some of these simple methods um, and principles of just having fun and being with the child and meeting them where they're at and understanding the language mountain or the steps that it can take to get them to communicate with us, that hopefully, you know, we will be successful and that I, you know, truly believe that parents can do this and that they can get that ultimate goal of feeling connected and have communication with their child so that they can each, each child can reach their full potential, whatever it may be. So just want parents to, to believe in this and know that it really does work because I've seen it over and over and over and over again. And it's a beautiful thing when it does. Yes. I mean, you wouldn't have been doing it this long if it wasn't. So <laughs> if it wasn't successful. And, fun, and I wouldn't have fun doing it, which I still do. I love coming to work every day and helping parents to help their children and, you know, being able to be a part of that process. It's, it's life-changing and it always feels good. So, but thank you for having me. Oh my gosh. It's an absolute honor. And I want us to do this again. Well, we I will. miss you. <laughs> I know. I miss you too. But we're going to see each other very soon. Yes. And, you know, please feel free to put my email in the bio as well, or in whatever you give out to family so they can reach out to me too. And if they have any, if anyone has any other questions or wants to learn more about this, um, please reach out. Okay. And what's your, um, what is, do you have a website? I do. I do. It's um, Palm Beach S as in Sam, O is in octopus, S is in Sam.com. Palm Beach SOS, which is stands for speech and occupational specialist.com um, in Palm Beach. That's where we are. <laughs> yeah. So please reach out. I can attest to the effectiveness of this woman's work. She is amazing. So oh, thank you. Palm Beach. it's same to you too. And thank you, you know, for doing this for families because I've worked with you as well. And, you know, I've seen amazing, amazing changes in the children. And when we work together, it's even better. So it's a great powerhouse. <laughs> yes, yes, we're better together. <laughs> All right, so thank you, Dr. Rosen. Thank you. Have a great afternoon. Thanks, you Bye. as well. Bye.